You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Modern Web. I'm so excited because I have two co-hosts with me today. Of course, um, we have, well, me. I suppose I should introduce myself. My name's Tracy. You can follow me on Twitter at LadyLeet. And uh, we always have Ben Lesh here. Well, we sometimes have Ben Lesh here, but today we have Ben Lesh. Hi, yeah. Ben. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lady Leet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't retweet enough of your stuff for that to be true. I should, though. I know. You're barely my friend anymore now because yeah. of that. But... It should be like a bot. I should like create a bot. And like every time you yeah. tweet, I retweet. Yeah, that's um, okay. I'm a, tur- I'm a turd on the internet sometimes, so you probably don't want to ret- ret- retweet all my stuff. <laughs> And then we have a guest co-host today, Adam, Adam Rackus. Hello. Hey, Adam. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You, you all have really easy Twitter handles, Ben Lesh and Adam Rackus. I mean, oh, good, good luck getting to mine. Yeah. So what is yours? So we, we, have, <laughs> we have Dax as the, um, the guest today and um, the, oh, the Daxer. That's what everyone says, but I swear to you, this is like a whole debate with my friends. Everyone's convinced that. I picked it because it pronounces the Daxer, uh, but I swear to you, I at some point went to a, there was some website I found and it just had calculated every like short, every like five letter Twitter username that was still available. And yeah. I kept shuffling it till I found one that was like, okay, that like aesthetically like speaks to me. Aesthetically uh, pleasing. Yeah. And then I picked it. And the benefit is I literally have this handle, even though it's just a random set of characters that people can't really remember. I have it everywhere because it's just the probability of someone picking it. I've never had someone take it. So yeah. I'm yeah. that PHDXR everywhere. Yeah. That's art. I'm, I appreciate that. It's art. Yeah. Well, mine I picked back in like, I don't know, 2007 or something like that. And it took Ben many years, I think like four yeah. or five years. Because I'm an idiot. But yeah. Took me a long time. I was just like, oh, elite, like, like she's elite, like, you know, like, (laughs) and then I was like, wait, Lee T, oh my God. Yeah. It works both ways. Secrets. All right. So we are talking. So Adam mentioned um, during our last podcast that, or uh, yeah, a few podcasts ago that he is like excited about SST. And he was like, oh my God, Dax is the best thing ever. (laughs) We well, sound like a little bit. Sound just like that. He didn't, he didn't say that specifically, but <laughs> that's how I interpreted it. So I was like, "Oh my god, I have to talk to Dax. We have to talk to him." So here you are. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Um, Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we start off with Adam really quickly. Like, what excites you about, you know, what's going on? I uh, love seeing new cloud uh offerings uh cloud wrappers cloud can be kind of tricky to use in its raw form i like seeing some of the things sst was working on and it's especially interesting um you don't hear this very often but he built it with uh solid js instead of the normal react option because as i understand it he had some pretty ambitious performance requirements so i'd love to hear any more about that yeah uh so maybe i can give a quick yeah. Just brief thing Me on too. what it is and like the scope of stuff that we cover. Uh, so what we are today and where we started was um, we wanted to help people build on AWS. Uh, I know that's not a very exciting 
thing. Like, you know, often hear people like excitedly talking about AWS, but the reality is, is most companies, uh, continue to choose them for a lot of different reasons. You know, you can range from price to compliance, to capability. Like the reality is like a lot of large portion of computation is still going to happen on AWS. The challenge is, uh, AWS is a giant beast of a thing. They have like 200, 300, I don't even know how many hundreds of services. Uh, and not only do they have hundreds of services for everything that you might want to do, like you might say, I want to do, you know, real time web sockets, to the browser, they have like three different options. So it's very hard unless you spend a lot of time evaluating every single thing, playing with it, understanding all of its quirks to figure out here is one, the services that I should use. And two, here's like the way I should use them. Uh, so we basically spend a lot of time on that. Uh, we understand all the nooks and crannies of AWS, all the weird things, the hidden gems, like the things that seem good that you should avoid. Uh, and we focus our efforts on, and th this, this brings it down from like hundreds of services to like less than 10, I would maybe even say less than five for most applications. Uh, and we build a, uh, an experience around those around those services to make it very easy to build almost anything. Like we have such a wide range of what people build, uh, using our tools. Um, so basically like simplifying it, but the thing that makes us a little bit different is we very explicitly don't have the goal of saving you from having to eventually learn something. Um, so our tools are very like high level abstracted. And I think for a lot of cases they work well, but we have plenty of ways to drop in lower, like access these other services that are not things that we focus on, but like your company might need, uh, like kind of configure really advanced things. Uh, so if you look at the life cycle, the people that use our stuff, they'll come, they'll come in knowing very little about AWS and as they build their application, they become experts. Um, and we think that's kind of critical. Otherwise you just build a tool that people eject from once they become a little bit successful. So we trade off a little bit on like, we're not the shiniest upfront experience. Like if you want to compete on that, like we're not going to win. Uh, but there's also a reason why, like we tend to have like kind of pretty large companies using us even at pretty large scale. Um, so that's like one half of it, like helping you build stuff. Then the other half of it, uh, which is newer thing that Adam was referencing is, uh, we also, the other part that talks about AWS is once you're deployed, you have to go into the console and like find the logs or like figure out where this thing is or like, it, it's terrible and everyone hates it. And if you search on Twitter, there's someone ranting about it like once a week. Um, so we have this uh, new product called our, we call it our console, like an SST console. Uh, again, it like focuses around that small subset of, uh, services that we choose to focus on. And this is like, a we try to make it like one of the best productivity tools, uh, out there. So everything loads instantly, like, uh, hundred percent of the actions you take are optimistic. Like it feels almost like a native desktop app. We've taken a lot of inspiration from linear, uh, kind of heavily studied how they've built things and, and kind of recreated it. And it's also fully open source. So a lot of people have been, uh, looking at our setup and kind of forking it for, for their own stuff. So yeah, so that's generally the, the scope of everything that we, we focus on. That was a great description. I had a lot of practice. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the one thing I, the one thing I always want to ask about with these sort of uh, cloud architectures and like any, mm -hmm. anything, even if it's like a framework, like a Next.js or uh, something that does server-side rendering is like, um, what are you offering for like streaming real-time updates? And the reason I ask is every time I'm hired to work somewhere because I'm the RxJS guy, it's because they have mm -hmm. streaming real-time things. 
and what I've discovered over the years is almost everything's engineered for like, oh, I've got an HTTP cat request yep. or a post and yep. that's it. And not usually like a streaming connection or a streaming gRPC or something like that. Yeah. This is, a, I love this question because I have a, uh, there's like a funny answer to this. So, uh, if you're talking about like, we'll scope it to streaming to like an end client. Um, I'm assuming. So someone on a browser WebSocket, something like that. Uh, so if you go to AWS and you're like, I want to do real time stuff, how do I do it? The first thing you will find is something called a uh, WebSocket API gateway. And this seems like exactly what you want. And you're like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Of course, this is named exactly like the thing that I want to use. You actually don't want to use it. <laughs> it's actually the like, entirely wrong choice. Um, because of this one little quirk, it doesn't do broadcasts. So you can't say like, I have a thousand clients interested in this topic, I'm going to publish to the topic and have that broadcast to a thousand clients, you have to do one API call per client, which just doesn't make sense for like most things. Uh, but AWS has this other service called uh, IoT core, which is like, what the hell? Like, why am I looking at Internet of Things stuff? But weirdly, they have this amazing uh, WebSocket service that's under their IoT umbrella. Uh, and that's actually what we use for everything. So this is like exactly what, you, what you'd expect. Um, clients can connect. You can specify what topics are allowed to subscribe to. They can subscribe to them. You can publish to them all like serverless. So it doesn't matter whether you have one client connected or a million. It all, it all works the same way. Um, yeah, so that's like kind of one of the things that we've discovered over the years of being like, that's actually the right thing to use. But obviously nobody uses it because they don't realize it's even, even there. Like, why would you ever go into that part of AWS? Yeah, I've, I've literally never heard of that. Before. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And we actually haven't wrapped that into a nice to use construct. Uh, we're using it in our console and people like are like referencing how we're using it, but we do need to do like an SSD real time thing. It just, we haven't gotten there yet. Does that service have a name? Uh, you said IoT core. Does the WebSocket part of that, is it a standalone service or is it really yeah, just- Yeah, it's, it's IoT core PubSub, I think. It's under IoT core and it's something called PubSub. And yeah, it's a little annoying to set up, but again, we have the examples in our in our code base. Um, but yeah, it's it's great and it works perfectly for what we need it. Do you happen to have any what, idea uh, how that wound up under an IoT uh, construct? Yeah, uh, I, I I would guess that it's because so AWS IoT actually is a pretty good platform. I did work at one company that that used it. Um, they kind of handle a lot of complex IoT stuff for you. Uh, real time, I think was just necessary there. It's not like optional. It's not like some subset of companies need it. It's you have devices that are, that need to stream data and need to send stuff in real time. So I think they built it just narrowly for that. Um, but I do think other AWS services are actually built on top of it. Um, so they have another service called AppSync, which is like a GraphQL thing and it supports GraphQL subscriptions. And if I, if I, I've just noticed that some of the payload structure and there's like similarities between that and IOT core. So I think it was itself like builds on top of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how it ended up there, but uh, yeah, it's like a hidden gem. That's interesting. So the, the, a lot of the stuff that I personally, and we don't have to keep focusing on the things that Ben Lash works on, but like the, the, a lot of the stuff that I end up working on ends up being slightly more advanced than just pub sub in that what you end up doing is you end up saying, hey, I'm subscribed to some data and the data is some data set. And then you get like the whole data set. And then after that, you just get like deltas of how it's changed because sending the whole thing over the wire over and over and over mm -hmm. again is just too too expensive. So um, 
is it designed for that that sort of thing or is it more just like a broadcast um simple message sort of service i mean you you can get as specific as as you want so i think you could build what in terms of the actual transport broadcasting stuff around i think that works uh the stuff that you work on if it's like very reactive and there's like state there's state that's like in memory that's that's changing um that's like one of the things that I would say the stuff that we focus on is not very good at. Um, we tend to make the trade-off of like, you accept the trade-off of most of your system being stateless. Anything stateful gets stored in like a very low latency database, like, like Dynamo. Um, if you make that trade-off, we can effectively do like infinite scale or like just kind of very smooth scaling at no matter what's happening. Um, if you do need stuff that's like very stateful, you kind of need to fall back to you know, stateful services like like a container, uh, which we do have support for, but just not our focus. Yeah, yeah. Well, oftentimes what ends up happening is you do end up storing it in a database that's low latency that ideally has some features that'll tell you what the difference is in your data set that you're watching or something. Mm -hmm. um, Mongo has stuff like that, but um, yeah, cool. I didn't, I didn't actually know about that service. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's her job. Like you're not like the, the average person is not going to have the time to go discover that. And that's kind of where we saw most of our opportunity. Um, like even for myself, when I was first, I, I haven't really been diving this hard in AWS for super long. I really only started a couple of years ago, but the thing I was reflecting on was, um, you know, I already had a decent amount of experience before I started doing that. Uh, and I had a lot of time just to dedicate towards like, towards learning it. And I was like, this took me a year before I felt proficient. This is why like the average person avoids this stuff. They just can't dedicate that. Right on. Um, what about, uh, so is, is it primarily mostly just like backend and edge kind of uh, facing stuff that you're concerned with? Or are you doing like uh, front end rendering or? Yeah, so we started with mostly building our building backend stuff because that's really what mm. like, for the types of customers that we were going after, like they, the most complex part of their system was the back end. So that's where we started. Uh, but at the beginning of this year, which is probably when people started hearing about us a little bit more, uh, we started to support some of these more complicated front ends kind of out of the box. Uh, so whether that's Next.js or SvelteKit or Astro or SolidStart, whatever it is, we had contracts designed um, that could deploy those and like fully take advantage of all their features. Uh, so we spent a lot of time with those communities to figure out like, here are the features that they have, here's how we can support it inside AWS. Um, because the reality is, is everyone eventually has one of those in their stack somewhere. Um, so we just had so many people coming to us being like, Hey, our whole system's on AWS, but our front end is like on Vercel and it's kind of a headache to have it in two places and there's a pricing and all that stuff. Can you, can you help us support AWS? Uh, we did the classic thing where. Like every startup founder knows like, oh, you got to listen to your customers and you got to do what your customers ask. Uh, people were asking us for this for years and we were just like, eh, like, do we really want to do it? Like, we just kind of were making, we're kind of rationalizing why we didn't. And finally we were like, all right, screw it. Like nobody else is doing this. We have to do it. Um, ended up being a very good thing for us because like, yeah, we just see a ton of Next.js deployments. Uh, Did you through, see like, like really, really like improvement from a, from like a, a, like a conversion standpoint or from like an adoption standpoint? Yeah. So I think the way we think about it is like, we start reaching new audiences. So, mm -hmm. uh, obviously when we started, we were 
the audience we were reaching was people that kind of already knew AWS and they already knew serverless and kind of already knew some of the benefits and, right. and how to build things. Uh, and that's a very easy market to reach. Then like the next, then we kind of go to the next kind of circle adjacent to them and the next circle adjacent to them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think our Next.js work brought us more into like the, hmm. the front end world. Yeah. Um, I'd already been doing a lot of front end work, but yeah, uh, this kind of like brought us to another level. Not like the, so you haven't seen as much adoption on like the Svelte or the Remix or the Astro or the Solid Side. No, I think, well, it's funny because I've never used Next.js mm -hmm. um, and I haven't used React in two years. And it's really weird how much time we spend like helping Next.js people and no one on our team has really ever used it. Yeah. Uh, Frank, who's one of the other people on our team, again, never used Next.js, never built anything with Next.js, but probably like top 1% of people in the world that understand its internals. So we're like in this really funny position. Yeah. Um, the reality is, is Next is just is huge. It's giant. Yeah. Uh, we look at our numbers and I would say, these are rough estimates, but of all the front ends deployed, I would say like 50-ish percent are static. Uh, so kind of traditional SPAs, static, static websites. Um, and including our own stuff is built that way. Then like the other like 48% are Next.js sites. Then you wow. have Remix, then you have Svelte, then you have Astro. Mm -hmm. um, that said, our biggest, our like biggest sites ever so far has been built on Astro. Um, so that is getting, well, we're seeing that grow. But yeah, you just can't fight Next that much. It's just, it's just so big. Yeah. What about like working with um, a solid? I mean, it's kind of exciting. Like, I'm hoping that the next release happens this year. Yeah. Or Feb sometime. <laughs> but what's that been like? Uh, it's been great. Uh, so I've been using solid for roughly two years. Me and my wife also have a business together. Um, mm -hmm. And that was the first thing we started to use solid for. Hmm. Uh, this was a while ago. I think this was like right before. 1.0. Um, but I've been doing React for years. And whenever I say this, people get angry, but this is just my experience. Uh, every I'm a decent engineer. I'm not terrible. I'm, I'm pretty good. Every React code base I've ever built just eventually kind of went to shit after a couple of years. And I was like, there's probably something that I'm doing wrong, but I spent a lot of time as a consultant too. Like I've seen like you know, hundreds of companies. Uh, and I just never saw a React code base where I was like, this is awesome. I like, after a couple of years, like, this is great. And I'm happy to be in this. I just feel like it always kind of ended up at best being mediocre. So I was like, okay, we're doing a new thing. And it's going to be like something I'm doing, um, you know, nights and weekends type of thing. Like, I need something that feels, that doesn't like go to shit without too much effort from me. Um, and I saw Solid. And at first, like everyone else, I was like, God, another framework. Like, why? uh why do we need another one this looks just like react like it's probably not any different so ignored it but then a couple months later i went back and looked at it and i was like oh these are some of some of the scenarios that i've seen in react that make it very confusing or convoluted start to like melt away uh so i started using it um my experience with it was the first month i was just writing react code in solid and it was all working and i was like oh this is awesome i'm like productive right away then after that, I was like, okay, if I look at back at everything I did, I just overcomplicated so much. Uh, so, so it took me a while to like reset my brain. But once I did that, and I was writing things like the more solid way. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been fantastic, and really haven't looked back since. The performance is great. I think people focus on performance a lot. I think for me, it's a secondary benefit. Like I have done a bunch of stuff that was performance heavy, but 
and it's nice to have solid there, but day to day, it's not what you're doing. Day to day, it's just like a simpler mental model that we we really appreciate. Um, and it's been great. The community's grown like crazy since then. Uh, it definitely has an insane set of primitives that are like super useful now. Like I don't like early on, I was like building my own integrations with other things that I needed, but now everything that I need is pretty much pretty much there and well supported. So yeah, great experience. So you're telling me you didn't have a great experience in a framework where you have to render the UI over and over and over again to perform side effects. <laughs> yeah. It didn't work out for you. That's so strange. I, I can't imagine why that would be. Yeah. It's funny. It's very obvious in hindsight, but in the moment, the main feeling was like, oh, like, why can't it be this simple? Um, it felt like React was simple and somehow it was kind of getting out of hand. Um, but then after using Solid for a while, I was like, Oh, this is, it felt like the framework really melted away. It felt like I was back to just doing normal HTML stuff. And then here and there I would like sprinkle in solid to like have stuff update. Um, but yeah, just the simplicity is, is quite different. Uh. Did you run into any problems lacking ecosystem tools like a virtual scroller or a component toolkit? Yeah. So early on, I would say the biggest one we were doing, uh, we don't we don't use it anymore, but we were using GraphQL pretty heavily, uh, particularly because we wanted like all that like offline syncing and having a data model the client understood. Uh, we found different solutions for that, but back in the day, we were like, okay, we want to use Urkel, uh, but there was no solid Urkel adapter, and that was before I understood Solid well enough to write one. Um, but use one that someone had written. Eventually, ended up writing my own, uh, and that was a little bit rough. Like I did spend a lot of time like figuring that stuff out. So I might've like kind of broken even on like the productivity, but in the past year, I would say like, I have not had, I've not run into anything at all. I think the way I like to describe it is React ecosystem is gigantic. It's like a garage full of stuff. Everything you possibly need is somewhere in that garage, but you gotta like wait through a bunch of shit. You don't even know what good stuff is in there. Like it's just, it's hard to find. Um, solid at this point is like a nicely organized drawer. There's not a lot. But there's this really great solid primitives uh, effort, which is like just one GitHub with like so many things that you, anything you can think of, like I need to do hotkeys or like whatever it is, there's something in there for it. And it's maintained by the solid community, all follow the same patterns, everything is like idi idiomatic. So uh, it's definitely hit that threshold where I don't think you're really gonna be struggling too much. Um, there's a great like accessible, uh, like headless UI kit called Cobalt now. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty good, and I think it happened. It felt like it happened overnight, but I do remember like maybe like a year, year and a half of like struggle. But now it's just completely different. Coming from what you call yourself a, um, would you call yourself an average developer or something? So <laughs> it can work for you too, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely a heavy evangelist of, yeah. of solid. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So Adam, does that dispel the myth that the reason Dax picked solid was for the performance? Although, I mean, it's, <laughs> I guess. It's yeah. yeah. So, do, so don't get me wrong. Like I, I did post something a few months ago where we had, uh, so with our console, obviously we show logs and for some of our bigger customers, it's a lot of logs. Uh, and it's a very classic thing. You have like a table of data that you need to scroll and update very hard to do that performantly uh in other frameworks solid we had it working very well 
after like one like the first day we built it uh so it does come in handy for like the five percent of your product that needs it are you using virtualization for that in solid not yet that's just... what's crazy we didn't, we didn't even need to do that yet uh so we what we do need to it's been on my list the ui needs to change a little bit to support it which is why i've been deferring it um but you know like Tanstack virtual has like a solid adapter which i've used before uh in our other product that we built our own uh because we want to do it slightly differently than Tanstack was doing it but uh yeah so we'll probably just go with Tanstack virtual and see if that works for us I've got a question about SST. You said you're starting to get into the front end deployment stuff and you yeah. seem to be AWS based. Do you have any yeah. kind of low latency, um, non cold start option yet? I know Vercel uses yeah. edge, uh, cloudflare functions. Yeah. The cold start question is like, is, is extremely complicated. Um, so I think there's a whole segment of the serverless world that like wants to deny that it's an issue. Um, and I kind of see where they're coming from. Uh, I don't want to deny it's an issue. It's something that I, like, I do have to care about and stuff that I build, like I, I do think about it. But I also want to say that it is, it's a very, very, very complicated question because AWS, the whole idea is what you're telling AWS is here's a computation I want to do. It's their underlying system for how they run it is just changing all the time. Um, so recently there was an update where, again, you would never know this because these aren't things that AWS publicly announces. It's just stuff that, uh, like I have friends that work in monitoring companies and they like can pick up on some of this stuff. Um, AWS are doing something called proactive in initialization, which means that uh, there actually is no cold start for a large number of your invocations. They like proactively spin it up and are waiting for the first request. Um, so the cold start question is like, do you need to, build a whole runtime that eliminates cold starts or like, can you kind of practically make it a non-issue with in the existing node ecosystem? Um, and I criticize AWS a lot, but this is one area that they've made a ton of improvements are. And like, if you look across the board, the number of cold starts people have had a couple of years ago uh, versus the number they have now, it's like drastically shrinking. Um, it just like the stuff that you have to care about just continues to shrink. Um, so they do not have an option for like, like a, like a V8 thing, like the thing that, that Cloudflare does, um, an isolate. But the gap of that benefit just continues to shrink. And I do want to see them do that because there are, there are some things I, I would like to do under that model. And I think Cloudflare actually is the only company in the world that can challenge AWS, um, which is why I want to see them face that competition more directly. But yeah, they do like a crazy amount of under the hood optimizations. Like there's all this caching stuff. It's, it's very complicated and people have to kind of reverse engineer it to even understand what's, what's going on. So I actually have one more question that, yeah. for you, which is, so I'm at a, I'm at a conference in Romania right now and I was talking with a few people and they have a problem that's very similar to a problem that I've run into at work, which is you have node services that are microservice and they all want to talk to each other <clears throat> and uh, they will, at startup, say if you've got a Kubernetes deployment or something like that, you you get this moment where all of the services are busy talking to each other. And if they're busy long enough and your health checks don't get responded to, if they're node services, because there's one thread and it's too busy to respond to the health check. And then Kubernetes being nice will then kill said service and cause weird problems. 
um what does what does sst offer for any situation like that because this was being discussed by multiple people yeah at this conference just today and i was like wow this is a real like common issue that everybody runs into yeah so the, the architectures that we do we we call them event-driven architectures uh, i think people i don't like using the word serverless because that like focuses a little bit narrowly um the idea behind an event-driven architecture is that you express your whole system as a series of events you say when this event happens, do this. When this other event happens, do that. Publish these other events. And you can represent like something very complicated in that way. Uh, the benefit of doing that is that you don't have to really... Like the, the scenario you're describing where you have like containers and things that need to be spun up and down, it doesn't really happen under this model. Um, like if, uh, if there's an invocation happening and it's busy and another invocation comes in, there's just going to be another instance spun up within milliseconds to handle that. Uh, the moment it's done, it's going to shut off. So the way I like to think about it is it's like the most granular auto scaling that you can get. Um, like I just kind of think of this progression. Like at some point you had physical servers. If you wanted to scale it, you had to go by and like using your body, lift it up into a rack and, and scale it. Then you had like the cloud and you can like have VMs and VMs could come up and down within a matter of minutes. You have containers that were like a little bit faster than that. And now we're at the point where like things can come up, go up and down within milliseconds. So yeah, our, our like architecture is quite different than the type of thing you would be see deployed on, on something like Kubernetes. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't really face that, that scenario. Super interesting. <laughs> Today was Ben education day. Yeah, <laughs> Well, okay, I forgot to um, say thank you to our sponsors. Um, so thank you. Uh, this is sponsored by Vistot, which is um, my company. Um, and um, yeah, we're a development consultancy. So we work with some really amazing companies such as Stripe, Zero, Wikimedia, PayPal, Herman Miller, Capital One, PlayStation. And uh, we really love to help solve problems. Um, so whether it's like legacy systems or helping with, I mean, does everybody agree on the call that like it's people problems? It's not, it's, you know, it's not technology, it's people. Um, so we love helping like with processes and just trying to figure out like, you know, how to, how to help companies overcome challenges. So we do a lot of fractional CTO work. Uh, we have a lot of really amazing engineering leaders here. Um, and um, yeah, you can learn more about us at this.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T.co. Um, Dax, where do we find out more about SST? What's the website? SST.dev. Okay, that's great. And um, we, we can find you on Twitter at T-H-D-X-R. The yeah. Daxter. Daxter. <laughs> I'm going to deny it till I die. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it looks so appealing to you, though, because you're like, oh. I think so. I think I did recognize the letters, and they all looked familiar. And so <laughs> I, I, I can concede it was maybe subconscious. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, I think denying it's a people problem, Dax. <laughs> <laughs> Look, all the problems you have in the world are created by Adam and Ben. So. <laughs> For, for all the belly aching I've heard about RxJS, I'm utterly positive that I've caused all of the problems. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we will see you all soon. Thank you again for joining us on, on this episode of MondoWeb. Thank you. See ya. Come on. Come on, everybody. Let's go. 
This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. These are all of your friends.